Well, welcome again to South Lansing Christian Church. My name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here. And you're catching us in the middle of a sermon series called Ever Present Help. We're talking about the ways in which God has shown up for his people again and again and again. Now this fall, we're also on a journey as a church through the first five books of the Bible. You might know them as the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's Genesis through Deuteronomy. We're reading approximately two chapters a day. You can join with us and read by by going onto the Bible app and finding South Lansing Christian Church, and our highlighted plan is there. We also have some papers around the room that have uh, have the reading plan on them if you're more of the analog kind of person. Every Monday through Thursday, we are getting together on Facebook Live at 12.12, and we are reading the chapters, the reading for the day. That way, we as the church can participate. This week, has been a lot of fun. We had uh, Hannah Lohman read for us one day. We had Ben Hobbs. We had Colin. I read one day. It's been really good. So if you want a way to connect with your church, connect with God's story in the middle of the workday, join with us at 12.12, Monday through Thursday. Now we've also got a wall out here with some questions. It's between the drinking fountains and and do me a favor on your way out of here this morning. There's a question up there that pertains to your reading. Find one of those notepads, those sticky pads, write your answer to that question and stick it on the wall. We've got small groups talking about this stuff. We've got Wally Wednesdays, sorry, Wednesdays with Wally that happen out in the fireside room. Uh, That is uh, a chance for you if you have questions about what you're reading to come and bring that here That's at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Join us out there and we'll talk about that. Basically, we've got a lot of stuff happening here, all pointing in one direction, driving in one direction, digging into God's story, because God's story is one of our core values here at South. And I'm just going to say this. Have you heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink? Anybody out there? Maybe it's just me and the weird farming background I had. Sometimes I hear people say, I'm not getting fed, or I feel like I'm stuck in my faith, or uh, this place isn't deep enough for me. And to that I'd say, man, what more do you want? We have so many opportunities for you to engage with Scripture, engage with God's people as we work together in Scripture, and serve in Jesus' name. We've, we've teed up, we put the ball on the tee, it, it's, in, it's in your hands now. You've got the responsibility, you've got to meet us somewhere there. And so... Part of faith is coming to Jesus and taking those steps in faith. And so if you felt like your faith is dry or you're not making progress, man, are you in a small group? Are you reading with us? Are you on this journey with us? Because if you're not, there's not a whole lot more we can do. So I'm just going to leave that there. Responsibilities in, in your court. Now, as far as the ever-present help series goes, our anchor passage for this entire passage, or for this entire series, is Psalm 46. So turn with me to Psalm 46. In it, the psalmist refers to God as an ever-present help. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Continuing on in the NLT. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam and let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. We're going to keep reading in this psalm, but as we do, I want you to, to listen for a feeling or an emotion, an attitude, some way that you would describe what the psalmist is feeling. I don't know if you hear what I hear. Verse 4, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. 
The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. If I had to name the feeling that I see in this psalm, I'd call it confidence. And admittedly, I've got low emotional intelligence sometimes. But I would say that this psalmist is incredibly confident, not in his own ability, but he's confident that God is there among his people. And because of that, that confidence displays itself in peace and in, in a feeling of joy. While things are chaotic in the world out there, it's, it's assurance that God is among his people. God is bringing his plans to fruition. Finding your confidence in God. That's what this series is all about. That ever-present help series. God has clearly demonstrated his faithfulness to his people over and over again in the first five books of the Bible, and we get to read those stories. But I think if you stop and look at your own life, you'll see that God has clearly demonstrated his faithfulness to you as well. And you can be confident in God because God has the power. Now, when I think of confidence, when I think of people who have confidence in God, in, in his power, and his plan, I, I, it brings me back to, to the first church that I served in. It was Lane Christian Church. It was in the middle of cornfields in Illinois. And, and when Jamie and I got there, the church was this little white church building across the street, about 80 people. And, and the church had just taken a huge step of faith in constructing a sanctuary, a worship space, to seat 250 people easily. And so when we got there, there was a ton of excitement, but also there was a little nervousness because, you know, the building was just being finished up and now those 80 people had to pay for the mortgage, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. Sorry, thousands of dollars a month, hundreds of thousands of dollars mortgage. And so there was some nervousness. There was, there was definitely a step of faith, but there was some feelings of hesitation. And I remember, I remember one of our elders came up to Jamie and me and said this. He said, hey, don't worry. God has always been faithful to our church, and we've always paid our staff. I was like, that's really good to know, because I just started working here, and I was hoping to get a paycheck every once in a while. But as time continued on, God was faithful to our church, and they continued to be able to support my wife and, and myself. And eventually, a few years down the road, we had some leadership change and some shakeup, and there was some, uh, some conflict, and so some people left the church. And I remember during this time, we still had this mortgage to pay, and there were rumors swirling around town about our church, that it was closing its doors. And I remember feeling some, some anxiety there. I mean, every week, Lane was old school, and so we would post the last week's offering, what had come in, what people had given to the Lord, we posted that on the wall, and then right below it, we would post the weekly need. And sometimes those numbers, they didn't match up very well. But I also remember that same elder coming and sitting down with Jamie and me again during that time and saying, hey, don't worry. God has always been faithful to us, and we've always paid our staff. Man, what confident assurance in who God has been continues to be, and will be. That kind of confidence is something I aspire to. It's something that, that marks many of the great heroes in my faith story. And yet, I've got to be honest with you, as a minister even, man, sometimes I have trouble finding that confidence. Sometimes the chaos of this world, or my busy schedule, or the worries that I carry around just seem to, to eclipse 
God's story and I find myself worrying and having trouble trusting God? How can things be so simple to others? How can confidence and trust in God, faith in Jesus, come so clearly, so easily to others? Yet in my own story, man, sometimes it feels like a struggle. Well, we're going to talk about that today. And so today's story, Genesis chapter 41, it's got the story of somebody who probably a time or two in his life, felt left behind by God. And, and so turn with me to Genesis 41. We're going to start in verse 1, and, and we're going to jump into the story. So let's see what we learn about who God is and about how he deals with people. Genesis 41.1. Two full years after Pharaoh dreamed that he, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. But they were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. And then, get this, it's a dream. The scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. You know, something that happens. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Now, if I would have been Pharaoh, I would have been like, that was a a dream. Like, we all have dreams, right? Sometimes you wake up and you're terrified. Sometimes you wake up and you're laughing. Sometimes you wake up and you can't remember them. It's a, it's a dream. But to Pharaoh, he saw something more. And I don't want to pause for a minute here because we're obviously jumping into the middle of a story. And so we need to back up a little bit and talk about how we got here. Genesis 41.1 says two full years later. Well, two full years after what? And to that, let's talk about the story of Jacob, which while I discussed last week, Jacob was his grandson of of Abraham, right? You had Abraham and the promise made to him that, that his son would be the father of many nations or of a, of a great nation, many people. And then Isaac had this son, Jacob. Now, Jacob had four wives and 12 sons. There's conflict there, as there obviously would be with uh, that many people in the mix. And so the conflict got so intense, more intense than any of our families have probably experienced, it led right up to the brink of murder. The conflict between Joseph and his brothers, the sons of Jacob, was intense, extreme. And it caused them to do some terrible things. And so they took their brother, Joseph, and and they threw him in a pit, and they planned to murder him. And then they walked it back a little bit, and they just sold him off into slavery in Egypt. And then Joseph was there, and he was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit. And so then he was thrown in prison. While in prison, he meets a couple characters. He meets this, this chief baker for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, He interprets a dream that the baker has, and that dream comes true. The baker is executed. Meanwhile, he meets, at the same time, this chief cupbearer for Pharaoh, and he interprets a dream for him. That dream also comes true. The chief cupbearer goes back to his position with Pharaoh, but forgets all about Joseph. Joseph is stuck in prison for more years. Genesis 41, 1, two full years later, Joseph has been in prison for all this time. Let's continue on in verse 5. But Pharaoh fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And these seven, then seven more heads of grain appeared. But these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt when Pharaoh told them his dreams not one of them could tell him what they meant. A couple things here. Pharaoh, in the Egyptian's mind, was divine. And so it's striking that Pharaoh couldn't interpret his own dreams because 
as a theoretical divine being, he should have been able to. But he can't, and so he, he calls all his magicians and wise men together, and, and they can't either. And you see this kind of tension or almost contest between, being set up between Pharaoh, who claims to be divine, and God, who actually knows what's going to happen in the future. And later on, we'll be reading in Exodus, and we'll see another contest between a Pharaoh at that time, who also claimed to be divine, and the God of Israel, who was divine, is divine, is all-powerful. And in both of these situations, God is shown to be the one in control with authority, and Pharaoh's shown to be just a chump. But Pharaoh's wise men, his magicians, can't figure out the the answer to this dream, and so this happens. Verse 9. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream. Each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison, and he was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Now, can you even imagine being Joseph at this point in the story? At this point in the story, Joseph has no idea that any of this is happening. He's still in prison. He's been there for years. The temptation to despair must have just been almost overwhelming. If you've ever felt forgotten, left behind, ignored by God, just look to the story of Joseph. Stuck in prison, He sees his interpretation of of these dreams come true for the other two guys around him. He sees God working and and signaling his plan and then following through on it, and yet it's not happening for Joseph. I don't know that Joseph doubted God. In fact, all signs in Genesis point to the fact that Joseph's faith continued to grow stronger and stronger. But I know for me, if I had been stuck in prison, man, I, I would have been tempted to doubt. The questions of why. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why, God, won't you step in? God, are you there? Do you hear me? Perhaps you're in a season of, of life like that. You're, you're going through something awful, and, and you wonder, does God hear me? Does God see me? Does God care? If you're there, pay attention to what Joseph says here in this next section. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. And no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And just hear the trust in there. Look at Joseph's confidence. Even after all this time, seemingly forgotten in prison, before that, a slave in Egypt, before that, sold into slavery, before that, stuck and thrown down in, in a pit, and before that, he's, he's in constant conflict with his brothers. Even after all of that, he says what? He says, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. Imagine, imagine if you adopted that as your outlook on life. It is beyond my power to do this, but God can. 
If when you were confronted with some kind of impossible situation at work, you, you said, it, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can. If your marriage was falling apart, and you felt like there was no hope, and it wasn't even necessarily worth continuing on, and you said, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. If you're a young adult or you're someone else who's, who's just feeling the, the desire to, to have a significant other, a soulmate, somebody to marry, and you're impatient and you're tempted to go the way of the world and to accelerate things, you said, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. If when things were broken and falling apart in your life, with your health, at home, in some other arena of, of what you are about, your existence, you said, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. What incredible confidence Joseph had in God. And, and honestly, I mean, you look at this story, it's seemingly misplaced confidence because when you read the, the account of Joseph's life up to this point again and again and again, it just seems like, where's God? Where was God when Joseph was in the pit? Where was God when Joseph was stuck languishing in prison? Where was God? I'm sure that Joseph would have rather, much rather, have not been in either of those situations. I'm sure he would have much rather have been walking free. But now in front of Pharaoh, he confidently says, he he delivers this statement, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And then Pharaoh proceeds to tell Joseph his dreams. And then verse 25, let's pick up the story again. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Those of us who have grown up in the church, we know that Joseph's story is this real rags-to-riches tale. And we know that in just a few minutes here, just a few verses, really, Joseph's status is, is going to be completely reversed, and he becomes second in command over all Egypt. And so it's tempting to think that as God showed up in Joseph's story, and as, a, as these good things happened to him, that his faith grew, and it was strong. But I... I think there might be more to it than that. This is just speculation, but I I think, I wonder, that if Joseph had remained in prison, I kind of think that his faith would have been just as strong. I mean, look at his response here to Pharaoh. He's standing in front of Pharaoh. He's still a prisoner. Going back to prison is still very much in his potential future. And he says so many times, God can God is decreeing, God is telling, God is making this happen, God has revealed. Look how many times he he betrays his confidence. Not betrays, he displays his confidence in God. If I had been Joseph, 
I'm not sure that my reaction would have been the same. I would have remembered all the ways which, from my perspective, God had seemingly failed me. I would have remembered all the times when it seemed like I was alone. That God just never seemed to answer my prayers. And yet, all along when things seemed darkest for Joseph, God was there. God was there. God was working his plan. And we'll see in a little bit that God's plans cannot be thwarted even when faced with insurmountable obstacles like the reading this week, Genesis 37 through 47, the the family of Jacob and all of this mess. Even when faced with people who make terrible decisions, people that God loves and God chooses to to work through, even when, when confronted with that, God's plans and purposes cannot be stopped. God was there with Joseph in the pit. God was there in prison with Joseph. And God was continuing to work his plan. And because of that, because of God's faithfulness, I believe this. That God has the power and he is an ever-present help. God has the power. You know, I mentioned Lane Christian Church earlier. And I, I mentioned our, you know, our, our situation where God proved himself faithful. And the church is, is vibrant and alive and healthy today. And It makes me think about a time of uncertainty in our own church's history. Following the 2008 financial crisis, our church was facing an uncertain future. Many of the people in this church had to get out of Dodge, had to, to move somewhere else to go find work because there was just not work to be had. And so as God's people moved out of here, there were fewer and fewer of us left behind. But this building was relatively new. We moved in in the early 2000s. And, and so suddenly we were facing a mortgage that was thousands of dollars too high every single month. Wally's shared with me a few times about the stress that he felt and the leadership felt during this time. Not not sure what was going to happen. Our church was preparing to mail the keys for this place back to the bank and then head out to be a nomadic group of people. But then God stepped in. And God had raised up our partners in the Solomon Foundation and they were able to purchase this place and and enable us to continue doing ministry here in South Lansing. But you know what's, what's interesting about that? Just like in the Joseph story, there was a crisis on the horizon. Nobody saw it coming, but God knew. And then God signaled and he prepared a, a way for his people to, to make it through this famine. There was a crisis on our horizon as a church. When we moved into this building, we didn't know it. We didn't know it. But just down the road, a few years, a coming crisis with the 2008 financial crisis, people leaving, leadership shakeup, all of this stuff, it was going to be impossible to pay our bills, and yet God knew it, and he was preparing our partners, the Solomon Foundation. He was getting them to a position in which they could step in and assist. God has been faithful to our church. God has been faithful to his people in Scripture, and God has been faithful to you and me, and because of that, You can have confidence in him. God has been that ever-present help. Now, speaking of confidence, one of the things that will get you and me into trouble is is having misplaced confidence, having too much confidence in ourselves, our own abilities, our, our status, our wealth. As they say, pride goes before the fall, right? Any confidence placed in who we are as human beings is is bound to fail us. It's overconfidence. Eventually, everything that we're confident about goes away. Our health slowly betrays us. As we get older and older, our minds go with it too. 
Our status, maybe you're someone important now in your occupation or your role in life. That stuff dissipates too. Your wealth, as Jesus says, thieves break in and moths and rust destroy. Any, any confidence that we have in, in any of this stuff, based on our status, abilities, possessions, any of that is false confidence. But true confidence is found when we fix our eyes on God instead, recognizing that he's proven over and over and over again that he not only has the ability, not only has the power, but that he's faithful. And that he's proven that he loves us. And he sent his son Jesus for you and for me. And so we need to get this right. We need to be confident, but not in ourselves, because eventually this too shall pass. And we won't be who we are. And we won't have what we have. But there is one constant in our lives. And so when we fix our eyes on God, we can be confident in God who has the power. Because, as Joseph says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can. You know, later on in the Joseph story, a few few years later, Joseph has been elevated to that, that role as second in command over all Egypt, his family moves to Egypt to escape the famine. And, and eventually his, his dad, Jacob, passes away while the family's in Egypt. And his brothers recognize, oh man, we really treated Joseph poorly. And so they're, they're terrified. And they think he's going to, to bring some retaliation. And so they come trembling before him. And Joseph says this in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 50. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. As we move on to the next part of our, our, our service this morning, I, I want you to clearly hear this. You can have confidence in God. You should have confidence in God. Our church wants you to have confidence in God. Romans 8.28 tells us, In all things God works together for the good of those who, who love him and have been called according to his purposes. God works all things together for our good. You can have confidence in him, but you can't expect that God's going to do things your way. You can't expect God to do exactly what you want, when you want, because your perspective is limited. And your idea of the right thing at the right time might not actually be the right thing at the right time. And so instead, you can be confident in God who has the best possible outcome for his people in mind. You can be confident in God who has proven himself faithful and available, present, who's proven himself to be a help, powerful, over and over and over. Again, you can have confidence in him, and your confidence, instead of demanding something from God, it should be more like that of Job, who upon hearing that he lost his entire family and all of his possessions, all that stuff was gone now, he says this in Job one twenty one: The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, your confidence should be like that of of the three young men and facing the fire and, and the king in Daniel chapter 3, verse 18, they say this, The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, 
We want to make it very clear to you, Your Majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. God's plans are not your plans. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. They are better than you can possibly imagine. God has the power, and he is an ever-present help. Church, would you join me in prayer? God, we come to you, and again, we're thankful for your story. We're thankful for the opportunities that you give us to to see your faithfulness on a daily basis and to hear of your faithfulness throughout human history. God, I pray that as we all face times of difficulty, trouble at, at various times in our lives, that God, you would help us to be confident in you and not in, in who or what we are. Confident in you and who you say we are. God, help us to to rely on you and help us as we go out from this place to be your church in the world. Help us to be so confident, trusting you, knowing that you have the power and you are our ever-present help. That, that, God, that others notice that and they have questions and that they're drawn to you, to a relationship with your son, Jesus. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray these things today. Amen. We get a chance now to respond to God. We do this every week here in a few different ways. We worship together. We worship by singing songs, praising God. We worship as we give back in a little bit, and we'll have a chance for you to be generous then. And and we also worship as we share the Lord's Supper. The way that we do that here is there are tables around the room, and there's bread and, and juice at those tables representing Jesus' body that was broken for us, his blood shed for you and for me. And so we'd encourage you as we sing to come to one of these tables with a friend, with a family member, someone who's part of your church, and celebrate, remember Jesus, worship him for what he's done in community with God's people. And so now, church, would you stand and join us in worship?